I love it when you say it like that. Welcome, my friends, to this fine radio broadcast. That's classic. That's almost like the old school, here's Johnny, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's becoming a thing. I see people doing it in the street. It's amazing. <laughs> right. No, I don't. No one does it. It's just a stupid thing I do. Uh, welcome to Smoking and Toasting, ladies and gentlemen. It is show number 76. This program is all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. I thought I'd roll my R today. Well, that's a that'll be the word last, association. That'll right? be the last time I do it. Um, <laughs> uh, we are brought to you by B and B Butchers and Restaurant uh, at eighteen fourteen Washington Ave in Houston, and in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth. And hopefully, these guys will take over the world because they're that they're that yummy. I had the Chateaubriand there one time, and it was oh, so good. Yeah. I think, as a matter of fact, we yeah, split I it. Believe didn't we? we split it the Chateaubriand, so did we not? It was uh, a, such a romantic dinner. Well, welcome to show number seventy six uh, on today's show: How to make the best. Cocktails, eight easy steps to supercharge your home bar and make you a, a maestro. I'm going to take home notes cocktail. on that one. Yeah, I think you're going to like this. Uh, so I haven't shared this with you yet, but I think you're going to like this. Uh, also on today's show, we're going to be uh, sampling some lovely beverages, uh, including the Champion Brewing Company's Killer Kolsch out of Charlottesville, uh, Virginia. It has a killer whale on the can. Kind of nice. nice. Uh, Stone Brewing's Laurel and Dr. Rudy's Inevitable Adventure Double IPA. They should come up from with the always a little more words in their title. Yes, and, and they should really think about doing an IPA sometime. Right. <laughs> stone, stone, stone IPAs stone are so good. Yeah, and they, they just seem to specialize yeah. in it, and they just keep going. I'm already going to say, even before I try that, I'm for it. All right, and I'm sure this one you're going to struggle with, though. We're also going to be tasting the Avery Brewing Company's Hog Heaven Dry Hopped Barley Wine Style Ale. You know how I feel about barley wines, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, if they were, you know, people, I'd marry them. <laughs> and we'll be tasting a rum today. It's the Parse Rum Ron Columbia Reserva Especial. It's the 12-year. So we're looking forward to that as well. So that's what we'll be tasting. And there's all kinds of things going on out there in the world, including uh, we'll tell you about the first craft beer in space. We'll tell you about the next trend in beer. They're saying is alcohol-free beers. And we'll talk about the tequila shortage. Is it fact or fiction? The there's heavy, heavy talk that there's a coming major shortage of tequila. What happened to all the agave? Yeah, that's exactly what the shortage is about. Is not enough agave. So uh, we'll give you a couple of takes on what's what's going on with that as we uh, continue on the show. I have to say. Uh, we got to hang the other night. It was sure fun uh, hanging with you and smoking cigars. and uh, yeah, it was such a uh, good time. And, and, uh, and enjoying some tequila, as we were, adding to the tequila <laughs> shortage, uh, <laughs> supposedly. Uh, but, but, it was, but it was a good time. Now, Supposed- I know What happened to all the agave plants? I'm, now you got me hooked. Well, like, what we'll, happened? We'll, this, it's called a teaser. We'll come back to it. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to stay around for the whole yeah, show. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you can't leave early. Uh, I'll never know. So I know you uh, smoked a pretty nice cigar uh, at my house because i gave it to you but uh i did and it was delicious uh, but uh but beyond that ian did you smoke anything interesting this aside week? from that and i yes. was actually going to talk about that cigar but then last night i ended up hanging out with a friend of mine and i smoked a uh don carlos god of fire cigar oh now that's a special occasion smoke it's called God of Fire. God of Fire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it's a, but that's like like an Opus X or or you yes. know a, uh, a Padron yes. uh, anniversary. It's it's not a cigar you just break out, you know, on a Tuesday afternoon. You right, know, uh, not when a, it's long a little mower. windy. Yeah, you. This is <laughs> right. This is something you 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 know kind of hold on to for when you're really going to be able to savor it. So right. 
and last night was one of those nights where I, I just I got to sit down and not think about much, but smoking a cigar and hanging out with friends. So it was one of it was you know like, well, like Valentine's our day. night the other night. It was Valentine's that Day. That was good. Yeah. So this was the uh, Robusto Gordo, um, the fifty four by fifty four by five and. Yeah, five, a little bit. Five and a little bit. Yeah. But, <laughs> about yo. About yo. <laughs> Those of you on a video can see how how big yo is. That's how so, I describe um, it, about yo. <laughs> right. This was um, from beginning to end. Well, first off, you have high expectations for this because it's an the, expensive the thing stick. lists yeah. for 22 to mm-hmm. $28, right. depending on what size you get. That's that's what price you generally expect to pay for it. Um, this thing was impeccable. It burned beautiful. Mm. I smoked it down until there was nothing left, and I had to go. Uh, it was unbelievable. The, the construction was gorgeous. The pre-light draw was delicious, nutty, wonderful um, uh, cigar you expect, flavors. You expect these pricier cigars to have really good construction because you know they're using the best torcedor in the uh, in the factory yes. to roll those. You know, yes. they're, they're, who who's the best? That guy? Okay, he's rolling You're the rolling God of Fire. This he's series, rolling right? Opus X. You know? <laughs> uh, and it was. It was impeccable. It never it never budged from a um, like a perfect yeah, burn a perfect all the way down. Burn, the, yeah. the ash was nice and solid all the way down. Uh, I tipped the ash twice on it just to keep it from falling on myself, mm-hmm. um, which it inevitably will if I don't. Um, I've ruined a few shirts that way. Uh, let's see. From the beginning of this, the pre-light draw was wonderful. I, I used a clip on this. Um, and the pre-light draw was just about effortless. It had this mocha and nuttiness to it that was just yes. so amazing. And um, and uh, it, when I lit it, it had just a little bit of a spice that I couldn't quite put my finger on uh, right off the bat. Um, and it developed, like within the first half inch of the cigar, the whole thing developed in this wonderful, smoky, big medium. Mm-hmm. Like, I almost wanted to call it full, but it's not really. It's a medium with just tons of flavor and tons of complexity going on. Um, goes great with everything, come to find out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> every- so, which means you tried it with a variety of things, With everything. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it goes great with everything. Um, and just a beautiful, beautiful cigar. The, uh, the mocha and chocolate just kept picking up and ramping up, and then we got a little more spice in there, which turned out to be a little peppery kind of thing that uh, wasn't right. At, like A lot of times those peppery spices hit the very front of the tongue. This was actually more like in the middle of the flavor overall and just got mm-hmm. the whole the whole palate going. It was just incredible. All the way down, I thought that was going to ramp up and then keep ramping up, but it didn't. It ramped up to a point, stayed there. And stayed it was at that just, sort of medium, medium Yeah, full, it, just, right? it gained a little more interest and then just stayed there more interesting the entire way. Uh, and I smoked that thing until it was pretty much burning my fingers. I have to say that was a fantastic cigar. Um, uh, highly recommend it. Uh, at 22 to $25, I'm going to give it a solid 5 on the price versus quality index. That means you're getting... Everything you're paying for. Okay, so I'm going to challenge your rating. But I didn't pay that much for them. Okay, but I'm still going to challenge your rating. It's twenty six fifty. Is it worth it? Uh, okay, so twenty two. Yeah, I, it's a pretty darn good. Then cigar. I think you got to give it a five and a half. Because if it's worth uh, exactly you know what, I'll concede what the point. you paid for, I'll it. concede the point on that. Right, okay. right, I'll or, the or point exactly what it costs. Maybe not what you paid for. Because sometimes you can get I'll a deal on things. Somewhere. I did, however, get these on uh, on an auction. Do you tell me what you did pay for them at about eighteen fifty per cigar? Dude, that's pretty good. That's about a seven. Yeah, that's about a seven. I'm with you. I'm so with you. Oh. So highly recommend it. And uh, it, it's just a great cigar. And that's yeah, a, absolutely. But that's a, the only reason I was challenging it was because, like, could it have done better? 
You know, like, could it have been any better than it was? You <laughs> it know was, what I mean? It's pretty tough. It was so good. Because you also brought and me I'll, one of those as a gift, which right. I smoked. And so I, as you're describing this, I'm remembering it yeah, and remembering how good delif- it was. Delicious, wonderful cigar. And, um, and so I'd say, you know, whatever price point you get it at, um, even you know, $26, $27 at that point. This is a cigar that you buy and you put in your humidor and you just hold it there you until that day. Yeah, it's a special you know, occasion that's, cigar. That's a wedding or an yep. anniversary Absolutely. or something like that's That's so one of those. A day you're going to remember. You go, we did this, we Valentine's. did this. And I smoked a very special cigar. Yes, yes. <clears throat> I agree. That's a I've nice got, commemorative. I've got a number of those in my, in my humidor. In fact, every now and then, I'll get three or four of them in there and I'll go, well... I'm not going to have three or four of those days for a long time, so maybe I just better pick a really nice Saturday night and smoke one of the special. Well, what I found sometimes, sometimes I find that if I'm going to smoke one of those, I decide that this is a special occasion because I'm smoking this special occasion. Right. I'm I'm choosing to make it <laughs> That's a special okay. occasion. How about you? What did you have? Um, well, I smoked uh, one that I'd had before, although it had it had been a while since I'd had this. Mm-hmm. It's the Ramon Bueso Genesis the Project. Cigar. Mm. Uh, this one was a Toro. It's an Ecuadorian Habana wrapper, Honduran binder, and fillers. The pre-light on this cigar, rich and earthy. But I will say, on examining it on the pre-light, cigar looks a little rugged. You know how some cigars are really smooth and very evenly, like they, they just look you know, like a baby's skin almost. Mm-hmm. They're just so smooth. Well, this one just, just was a little rugged. That might or might not be a thing, but I noticed. Um, I used a punch. And then became a little frustrated because it gave me a lot of like loose leaves around mm. uh, around the top and of the cap once I started to smoke. And you know I was careful with it. I've smoked a lot of cheap cigars, punched a lot of cheap cigars that way. They they burn fine. It lit easily, burned okay to start. There were notes of wood, espresso, some definite pepper. Uh, but I started to see the results of this ruggedness in the construction as it smoked. There was some cracking of the wrapper. Uh, you know, just little maybe quarter to half inch long cracks here and there right, right. in the wrapper in the wrapper and then about the halfway mark it started to burn unevenly i had a couple of these a year or more ago and i remember them as being better constructed and maybe even a little more complex than this one was it was not bad the construction made it frustrating to smoke and maybe kept the flavors from coming through you know as well as they were intended to overall a good cigar but not a great one. And that's what was disappointing because I remember the previous ones I had being great. Like, like really, I would have put them in a, okay, this was worth a little more than I spent right, uh, right. Uh, sort of category. Um, it's a good 5 to $6 cigar, not a great 5 to $6 cigar. I'd probably give it a, a four and a half. Uh, if I was rating the one, I mean, this is my memory from you know more than a year ago, if I was rating one of the ones I had previously, I think I would have at least given it a five, maybe a little more. So, because it's not an expensive cigar, but I just got the impression that the quality had gone backwards. So I, I'm a little confused because I know I bought, um, I've bought those, and I believe I got them in a five pack at about. Yep. Did you get it with twenty the, bucks? I think they were four dollars yeah. or less, even yeah. for a cigar. And I remember liking them at that price point. I really liked them. Well, and, even with the even and with certainly construction you can things. find them on special deals, particularly online, where they're a little less than their five to six dollar. Their their actual retail price, if you just go on and price a four uh, a five pack, uh, right. comes to about five dollars and twenty three okay, cents gotcha. per cigar or something like that. So it, so they're not they're not pricey, but 
it just depends how you buy them. If you buy them single stick, like in a uh, in a right. store, there may be a little more. So uh, again, I really like this cigar. I, I think I think part of the reason I'm rating it a little lower is I was disappointed. Gotcha. Yeah. Like had had this been my first one, I might not. I might have said, well, it had some construction problems, but the flavors were good. So. I'll I'll say it's okay. You know what I'm saying? But now, had it been a seven or eight dollar cigar, I'd have given it a three. Right. right. You know. But anyway, that's uh, that's my thought process on that. So, uh, and I have seen. You know, we've talked about this with Gurkhas. The first Gurkhas that I had were fantastic. Yeah. I like they I couldn't thought, do any wrong. I for thought a while. these cigars. Oh right. man, that they, I just can't believe how good they are. And I've been almost consistently just other than a couple of particular sizes and and blends i've been right. i've been almost consistently disappointed with gurkha for the past 2 to 3 years and it's not their flavor it's, and it's their not construction. the flavor it's the yeah the cigars just don't smoke well yeah. yeah and uh, and camacho had that problem with me for a while. It seemed like every Camacho I tried, the construction was off. That seems to have been corrected. So uh, with Camacho, or at least the last couple of times that I've that I've had a Camacho anyway. So, all right, uh, we have a lot of tasting to do, and Ian is very, very um, impatient for us to get to this about the uh, tequila shortage. So we'll come up the with that next. Tequila shortage. What is going shortage. on? Yes, what's happening? Well, you and. You know, you and your wife came over. We drank a lot of tequila. So uh, <laughs> we'll be right back at Smoking and Toasting. Welcome back. It is Smoking and Toasting. It's show number 76. And we're brought to you by the fine folks at B&B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston and in the shops at Clear Fork uh, in Fort Worth. I'm not kidding you. If you ever enjoy a great steak, like if that's ever a thing you want, in your diet, you gotta go to a B and B because they will blow your mind. I mean, this is the well. Good, they got the butcher place. shop downstairs. You can just buy a lot of that. So stuff. So we were talking about yeah, that. It was just so a group good. of friends the other day when we were talking about this and and the fact that you can actually go in the same steaks they're preparing for you. You can buy them and try your hand. And one of the secrets I'll I'll just tell you to how good their meat is is. The aging, the aging and the dry rubs that they do and the way that they, you know, set them up in the aging room. So if you take that steak home and plop it on your grill, you're going to have way better results than yes. the one you buy at the meat counter. At the corner store, uh, right? Yeah, at the corner store, exactly. So, so I went in there uh, uh, after actually one of our shows there, and on my way to the car, you pass right by it. Very yeah. sneaky of them, by the way. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. Exit through the gift shop, please. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, uh, line up here, uh, but uh, I bought a little thing of their black truffle butter. Oh, and see, I got to tell you, you that can, may be the secret right there. You can put this on grass clippings, and it's yeah. amazing. <laughs> I like, believe it's it. Unreal how good it. this stuff. Yeah, I was going to say that may be the secret. You know, you go, man, how do they make it? Well, the so next good steak, the, the next steak that I made that didn't come from there, I actually mm-hmm. put on the grill and I put a pat of that on top. And mm. uh, yeah, okay. so good, working. It's working. It's so good. So good. Uh, Coming up on today's show, we are going to give you, now that we've given you some steak grilling tips, uh, we're going to give you actually eight easy steps to upgrade your home bar and make the best cocktails ever. Talk to uh, me. I need to make notes on that. It's going to be cocktail season here coming up very soon. Because, like, I, And by the way, I don't mean to rub this in to those of you who are listeners of the show that do not reside in uh, Texas, um, <clears throat> but it's 73 here today. 
Yes. And I'm wearing short sleeves, and Ian has a T-shirt on. I That's the kind of too. day we're having. It's freaking February, and we are in short <laughs> flip -flops sleeves in February. and flip-flops. you got to love this. This is, this, is just, <laughs> this is how life should be. Now, admittedly, it was pretty cold a couple of days ago, but uh, we are having. Uh, so for those of you shoveling snow, listening to this in your earbuds. We feel you. <laughs> Oh, or not. <laughs> or not. <laughs> no, no, we do. We feel you. I promise. Uh, okay, so there is an article that came out in the Dallas News just a couple of days ago. It's a column uh, by Jacqueline Floyd, and it title is Grim News, Texas. There really is a tequila shortage. Now, let me point out that the tequila shortage would obviously affect more than just Texas, but Jacqueline is... Obviously, one of those Texans, and I know many of them, who think that only what matters, only what happens here matters, like that's the only thing. So this is just a little well, bit, bit of a home. The thing about Texas is a lot of Texans feel like Texas is a separate country almost. Yeah. A lot of the rest of the Union also feels like Texas is a separate country. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think, I think you're right about that. Well, here's what uh, Jacqueline says in her column. She says, well, it's not just a rumor. As a trained journalist, she says, with a keen consumer interest in the aforementioned commodity, I did some poking around. The stories, alas, these are her words now, are lamentably accurate. She says, tequila is drying up because the slow-growing succulent used to make it, agave tequiliana, the renowned blue agave uh, cultivated in the Mexican state of Jalisco, is in short supply. Experts, and again, I'm reading this from her column, experts warn that as growers harvest immature plants to meet a booming worldwide demand, that the shortage will only get worse. Estimates for the time it will take agave suppliers to catch up range from, and then she says, sit down now, grab a hold of something, or steady yourself, three to five years. So she says that she dialed up uh, uh, the owner of uh, Mariano's Hacienda and La Hacienda Ranch restaurants to get his take and uh, then talks about all he has done to popularize uh, tequila consumption. And he said, I'm reading his quote from her article, the industry I created has now turned against me. Get your margaritas while you can. He says available supplies will wind up going to the higher-end brands, the stuff that goes into top-shelf margaritas or is ship, uh, sipped by connoisseurs, that the hardest hit will be the producer, producers of inexpensive tequila brands, um, the stuff you use with the salt and lime mm. chaser. But still, uh, so anyway, uh, she goes on to say uh, that basically everybody she talks to tells her, yes, there's a shortage in tequila coming. Now. The biggest expert I know on tequila personally is a guy who uh, lives um, here in Houston, mm -hmm. which is our hometown, uh, and he is the spokesman and one of the owners of Pura Vida Tequila. Mm -hmm. We've we had, had him on the show. show. His name is Stuart Skloss. And uh, Stuart said in an email, and I don't know if he knew I was going to read this on the show or not, so I apologize, Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> but this is what he said. He said, there is no shortage. It is a scam that's a result of Cuervo and Patron buying enough over the last two years to make a 10-year supply to drive out as many competitors as possible. So here's what I don't understand, and I am actively working to get Stuart back on the show because I really want to hear him talk about this. I mean, the man, the man knows his tequila. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, he says there is no shortage. It's a scam that's a result of Cuervo and Patron buying enough over the last two years to make a 10-year supply and drive out as many competitors as possible. Well, wouldn't that mean that unless you're Cuervo or Patron, there is a shortage? Right? 
That's a tough one. Yeah, so I don't know exactly what that means. Or unless you already have a very secured supply. Well, yeah, that's possible. And I know, by the way, and Stuart, of course, uh, runs Pura Vida. I know that he has a great relationship with the owners of Patron. Mm -hmm. I I don't know if that relationship would allow Pura Vida to access some of the agave that that's been uh, that's been you know pulled together. But anyway, there's the story on the tequila shortage. I don't. Uh, I don't. Uh, this is something we're going to continue to investigate, just like we've been investigating this big beer versus craft beer uh, shakedown. This will be an ongoing investigation, and we will get to the bottom of it. We bring the tough questions, Stuart. If you're listening, uh, we want you back on the show, please, as soon as you possibly can. Yes, I will hopefully run into him in the elevator, which I do from time to time. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, we're going to taste a a beer. I don't believe um, in. Correct me. If, if you remember differently, but I don't believe we've had a brew from the Champion Brewing Company. I don't Company remember ever on, having a single on one on the show it. before. Uh, Champion is located in Charlottesville, Virginia, and we are about to taste. Ooh, that's. Oh, we got a good, good one this time, yeah. didn't we? Yeah. Last week, my my can pops were slightly disappointing. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but we'll see how this one goes. We're about to taste their killer. Colch. Now we the don't do a lot of colches on the show. Colch is a very light sort of a um, how, how how do you describe colch? It's it's light. It's light German style. Yeah, it's it's not as uh, not generally as heavy or hoppy, but it is generally quite refreshing and uh, generally one of those kinds of beers that you would think of as as even maybe more of a summer or sessionable uh, type of beer. Correct. Mm-hmm. All right. So here's what it says on the can. It says. Um, that this ale, which is 22 IBUs, 5.0 alcohol by volume, it says this ale is fermented at lager temperatures that produce a clean, bright beer with a mild hop characteristic and irresistible drinkability. Two-row pale uh, malt and Vienna malt combine with Hallertau hops. So it says it's it's uh, prepared at lager temperatures, which is a little cooler. But lager right. just means to store. Well, but, so a lager but, actually takes longer to to make. Right, but lager's fermented. Uh, 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 it's the difference in lager and ale is whether it's fermented on the top or the bottom. Correct. I, I, I think can't that's remember. right. Yeah, I think that's right. I, although I now I now get them confused as to which is which. Right. That's what a beer expert <laughs> I am. I don't know. I don't know the difference between. La- no, I do know that there's the difference. The difference is. Where the fermentation is done, whether it's on the bottom of the tank or the top of the tank, and one lager is one way and ale is another way. Someone will correct us on on uh, Facebook Live here in a minute. Um, right. But this is actually an ale; it's not a lager. I should it, know that. Actually. It says that it is fermented at lager temperatures that produces a bright beer, a bold bright beer. So, on the nose, not a whole lot. A little bit of like. Sort of like crispness, maybe just a hint of citrus. More malt, even. More malt, yeah, yeah. perhaps. Well, they talk about the malt combination more than they talk about the hops in the description of this of this beer. So I'm not expecting it to be very hoppy. Today is brought to you by the Green Solo Cup, by the way. Oh, yes. This is Ian's, Ian's campaign. He believes My if campaign. he keeps featuring Solo Cup <laughs> Keep talking for about free... Solo. That they'll somehow pay to be a sponsor on it's the a, show. It's an experiment. I want them, I'm, I want I'm them to I'm not sure notice. of your logic, my friend. I might just have to call them, huh? <laughs> well, But I figure if I have enough history using a Solo Cup, mm-hmm. then I can have leverage and say, well, if you don't sponsor us, I will stop using the Solo Cup. And better, best news of all, there's no annoying country song called Green Solo Cup. 
No, it's not. And it's that's not. that's a really good. Thing. We could make an annoying rock and roll song though. Oh, we totally should, like a punk rock song. <laughs> Called Green Solo Cup. Yeah, I like it. Uh tell me what you think about the Killer Colch. The Killer Colch is um a wonderful name for a Colch. Uh mm-hmm. I think it's pedestrian. Mm. It's not bad. No, that's interesting. Pedestrian in so it's drinkable. So does that mean that you would compare this to a beer maybe that's non-craft, like a, like you would compare it to a, a Budweiser or to a Miller Lite or to a Stella Artois or something of that type? It'd definitely be more compared to one of the better of that type if that was So maybe more like a for. Stella. Like Stella. Or, uh, Stella yeah. or, um, Although Stella has a, a little bit stronger uh, flavor this, profile. This to this. me, I don't I don't mind the uh, the flavor on this at all. It's... um. It's just not interesting. It's delicious, but it's kind of one note, I think. I think it's it's one of those things where if it's there, it's quite drinkable. I don't know that I'd seek it out. Um, but that's just a me thing, you know. My flavors are well, yeah. You and you do tend I towards like more. You, you, know. you did do tend towards the heavier thing, and this is definitely a lighter bill. They a beer. They call it a Coach style ale, and uh, I know these guys produce all kinds of the heavier types of things because i've seen their barley wine in a can i've seen uh several other uh you know more you know heftier beers from these guys so i know it's not i know this is just one representation of their line but i do think it's good it's it's refreshing in a way that makes me want another drink but it's not giving me big beer satisfaction so i like the i like the malt profile that happens right up on the front of this Mm -hmm. um the problem is there's no follow through. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just like to me. Once it's it gone, just, it's kind of gone. Yeah, it's like it's like it's there, and then psh, you're done. You know. I think I would like it better than most mainstream brews, but not like what I would drink instead of this would be like a Blondale, like a Fireman's Four, or or something like that. If I wanted lighter but craftier and still had some. Uh, so that's some flavor to it. Right. And and worth trying. It might be a mood thing, too. You know, you get out there on yeah. a hot day, this might be the best thing. Well, it does seem like it would work well on a hot day. Because it doesn't day. linger, that's uh, for sure. Then I'll give it the killer coach, ladies and gentlemen. All right. When we return, uh, Stone Brewing will give us something a bit heftier a double IPA called Laurel and Dr. Rudy's Inevitable Adventure Double IPA. Plus, uh, how to make the best cocktails, eight easy steps to do, like totally hack your home bar and make it rocking. <laughs> and uh, is the the next trend alcohol free beers. We'll talk about that coming up. It's smoking and toasting. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's smoking and toasting. Oh, somebody is watching. Cool. Um, we were just. We were talking about Facebook Live during the break, and I said, ah, nobody watches. But people are watching, so that's awesome. Uh, and I actually do know that people enjoy the show on Facebook Live. Uh, there are a lot of ways you can get Smoking and Toasting. You can uh, get us on Facebook Live when we actually do the show, which is generally about 1 o'clock uh, Central Time on Thursday afternoons. Although I will say there are times we run late. So if you're if you're thinking we're not there yet, just, just hang out. We'll probably be there at one fifteen. <laughs> it yeah, just happens. Sometimes it just takes a little longer to set up. You know, that's the way it is. And in the world of, you know, podcasting and instant live broadcasting, you can kind of, 
you don't have to be quite as married to the schedule. But this is generally when we like to do the show. Uh, you can and, also find. And by us the on, way, completely disregard that if you just yeah. download this later. Yeah, I was just going to say uh, we can also <laughs> find us on uh, iTunes in the podcast section. Uh, you can find us on Google Play, and we're available at SoundCloud. And then we're also available in video form. Not only can you see the show mm-hmm. on, still on Facebook if you follow the Smoking and Toast and Facebook feed, uh, but you can also uh, take a look at it on uh, YouTube. We have a YouTube. You can watch there. the silliness. Yes, it, it's it's amazing. I don't know. Uh, I don't know why you wouldn't want to see a close up of the next beer we're going to have because it's tr- it's it's likely to be tremendous. It's a uh, it's a limited release from Stone. Uh, uh, and it's it's Laurel and Dr. Rudy's Inevitable Adventure Double IPA. I'm waiting for Stone to prove me wrong because I like everything they make. And and what's interesting? Let me give our listeners some context here. Ian's not the IPA guy. I'm the IP, I'm the guy that loves IPAs. You're uh, you know you trend a little more towards you know stouts and porters and barley wine and things of that nature when it comes to what's your favorite favorite. Yes. You know. Whereas I, I probably I enjoy those things, but pro- probably my favorite swings back more to the IPA type profiles, IPAs and pale ales. Well, I think Stone is just it's one of those breweries where they craft their beer in such a way where no matter like and they have crazy over the top hobby oh, beers. They do. They've got some that are just like, Are you kidding Which, me? Which by the way I generally shy away from. Yeah. Except for if it's from Stone, because I know if I'm trying a Stone beer, it's gonna be good. Like from the beginning to the end of that flavor, all the way across the palate, it's gonna be balanced. It's not just gonna smack you up front with hops and then go away and, and leave you wanting more. It's actually gonna smack you up front with hops, but it's gonna be there for the yeah. long haul. It's, it's, it's gonna go the distance it's on your palate. Around. Yeah. <laughs> well, we will uh, we will get to this momentarily and I have a feeling it is going to be one of those uh like, you know, boom, hop explosion right. type of beers. <laughs> so the next craze, you know, IPA was really uh, a lot of people credit IPA, the sort of IPA emergence, as being the real explosion uh, that sort of started putting craft beer on the map. It was when IPAs started blowing up that craft beer started to become a thing, and then people became interested in other, you know, other types of things as well. But IPA is really what drove it into, um, you know, into getting a tap at your local bar or whatever uh, was the emergence of the IPA. Um, well, and I. I'm a victim of that because I remember when I first tried an IPA, it was uh, at a place where my band was playing in Galveston. It was a Galveston brewery, mm-hmm. and the brewmeister there came out with this uh, beer, and he set it down in front of me. I could smell it. It was like all the way over there, and I could <laughs> smell it. I was like, what is that? He goes, yeah. that's an IPA. I was like, I don't know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> I love the twinkle in your eyes yeah. as you tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> and I tried it, and I was blown away by yeah. how wonderful it was. Mm-hmm. And that was my first real introduction. Like, I remember that moment. It was a very tender moment for me. Well, a lot of people think the next big craze, and there's been a lot of crazes this last year. Sours were a big craze. Hazy IPAs were a big craze. A lot of people think the next craze, non-alcoholic brews. Okay, so I can tell what? you're not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's just for people who like to pee. Okay, so <laughs> I heard a comedian say oh, that. I can't think that's that good. True. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Thanks for giving credit because that's good. Well, uh, there was a uh, there was a story on CNN that I picked up this week, and it uh, it opens with an interview with a guy uh, who gave up alcohol for health reasons. His doctor told him, you know. You really need to not drink alcohol. And he was a beer lover, and he so went looking for a quality non-alcoholic substitute. And he couldn't find one, so he started his own brewery. 
Wow. And his mission was, you know, he said, when I started talking about it to friends and investors, they asked whether I'd, you know, bump my head on something. Uh, but but he was on to something, and he opened the Nirvana Brewery in London, which now brews 3,200 liters of low alcohol and alcohol-free beer a week, and he sells it to stores like Whole Foods. Uh, it's still a very niche segment, but big brewers, they say, are scrambling to get in on the action. And that's because drinkers are turning to brews that don't come with a buzz. This is the article now. Uh, they're increasingly worried about the health risks associated with alcohol. Global consumption of traditional beer dropped in 2015 and 2016, but the market for non-alcoholic beer grew 5% in 2016, according wow. to research uh, that was done uh, recently. Heineken uh, has released their own alcohol-free beer, Heineken 0.0. And I'm trying to look at some of the uh, some of the other uh, different companies. There's so many companies now releasing their own alcohol-free beer. Carlsberg's been doing it since 2015. They expect revenue for that product to grow three times faster than overall beer sales. That's kind of crazy. Uh, the the article, if you go on to to read it, basically says that now real brewers, real craft brewers, are starting to step into the non-alcoholic beer space and trying to make great tasting non-alcoholic beer because they can use the same hops, they can use the same malt. It's just missing the fermentation. Your thoughts, Ian? Okay, so you would think that um, caffeine-free coffee would have never. Right, caught on, but it caffeine-free did. soda, even you know, right. Um, so I'm a, I'm a little back and forth. Like I can kind of see both sides. Of this I know that the trend recently has been uh, sessionable beers a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, and sessionable yes. beers are not always. Uh, I, I like beers kind of on their own, but generally speaking, sessionable beers don't have as much flavor. So I generally go towards you know much less sessionable beers that start at seven eight percent. Um, but I can definitely see that if someone wants to sit down and have a couple beers, it's nicer to have something that's 4% or 5% maybe or lower uh, than drinking a couple, you know, 9% beers and then going about your business for the rest mm-hmm. of the day. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, maybe maybe that's a good lunchtime beer. Maybe that's a good option. What, to have a non-alcoholic beer a at lunch? non-alcoholic beer yeah. at lunch. Well, I, certainly I would I know. be so... Okay, so just trying it to see what the flavor is like, right? And that—that's where I think the jury would be out for me. Is—is uh, is, could you get could you get me that flavor? Could you get me that feel of having a beer, and it just doesn't get me buzz? Well, I'd be okay with that. Like yeah. you know, uh, uh, I don't need to catch a buzz every time I have a beer. You know what I mean? Like, right. So so there's a there's I think a, a a process that you could go through in brewing where you could impart some of the flavors and the characteristics that we like in wonderful craft beer, but have it in a beer with, with a, I don't know, I would just have to taste it. I'm really interested in sampling, and I will find us some of this Heineken 0.0, because we know what a Heineken tastes like. Right. And even though you might not you know, rate Heineken up there with your favorites, you know it has a very distinctive taste. It is not a flavorless beer. No. Right. And what so, might be interesting is to actually, if you find that, is to get a uh, a regular Heineken right next to it. Oh, and sample them and like side back by side. Back. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, try and just see what the differences are. Well, if we could pull enough of them together, it might be worth doing a non-alcoholic uh, blind taste test. Right. Because I can't imagine someone like Heineken making a non-alcoholic beer and then making it taste nothing like their regular beer. Right. That doesn't make any sense. Plus, obviously, they're, they're putting the Heineken name on right, it. Right. Obviously, so, you would buy yeah. Heineken 
because you'd want it to taste like and a that's Heineken. That's a valuable brand right. name, right, right? Exactly. So you would think, well, it's going to be interesting to watch and taste and see, and we'll stay on top of this for you because that's what we do. We feel like it's our duty, even the non-alcoholic stuff. It's our duty. We'll sacrifice. Yeah, because that's because that's what that's how we are. That's how we roll. That was the top coming off there you of go. Uh, what might be. Well, the rest of the show is going to be the antithesis of the alcohol-free uh, <laughs> beer because this is the Stone Inevitable Adventure Double IPA. We're going, yeah, we're going completely the other way, and it's going to clock in at eight point nine. So, uh, so that's not like outrageous, but it's uh, certainly certainly eight point nine more than the Heineken zero point <laughs> zero. Uh, the uh, the IPA that I've just opened is a limited release from Stone. It is uh, Laurel and Dr. Rudy's Inevitable Adventure IPA. And let me read you what it says here on the because they, I, I like the fact that beers will sometimes try to tell stories on the label or on the bottle. I, I enjoy this. I like uh, a little backstory because a lot yes. of times you're buying the story. <laughs> right. You're, you're like, okay. Uh-huh. So here's what it says. Laurel and Dr. Rudy's Inevitable Adventure Double IPA, a pairing that was bound to happen. It says uh, Laurel is a name of hops. They were released in 2016 and quickly became one of our favorite new varieties. This is the people from Stone talking. Uh, it was highlighted in our Stone Hop Revolver Single Hop IPA series and was the featured hop in our hugely popular 2017 summer seasonal beer, Stone Ghost Hammer IPA, which we have had uh, on the show, and it was fantastic. I enjoyed that. It was I very, actually very bought good. more of that afterwards. Then the uh, the bottle goes on to say, there's Dr. Rudy, that's R-U-D-I, Dr. Rudy, uh, which has been around since 1976. Originally known as Super Alpha, Super Alpha, this hop brings classic uh, resin and piney notes, which pair it perfectly uh, with the floral, citrusy aroma of Laurel. Traditionalist Gen X means adventurous millennial. What do they talk about? Nothing. Hops don't talk. Together, however, <laughs> they speak. It's apparent that a pairing like this was bound to happen. At Stone, we call it inevitable. And therefore, the title, The Inevitable inevitable. Adventure IPA. So I know that while I've been reading, you've been doing research. I have been doing uh, my research on this. Tell me what you're you're thinking. Do you remember when we had the Dogfish Head 120-minute IPA? At my house the other night? Yes, I do. Yes. Such a good IPA. Um, And one of the descriptors I have for that IPA, and this is is a weird word to use, but in such a yummy and delicious way, it has a Mm -hmm. dankness to it. Oh, yes. So are you going to use the dankness in uh, in the describing of this? Now that is floral like crazy citrus. So that's the floral and citrus to me seems the opposite of dank. But there's an underlying dankness yeah. in the whole thing. Because take the that big take that big breath with your with your face in there and your mouth open and taste that like right through the oh, air. Oh, there is totally of, a dankness. A little yeah. dankness the in difference the, back of the difference is the first time I smelled that I didn't open my mouth. Opening my mouth, they got yeah, and you you totally get the dankness, and it's, it's like on the back of the palate kind of thing. That's, so. So the 120, which we had the other night, you were kind enough to bring one to the house, and thank you for that. Um, we opened it and split it and, and, and enjoyed the hell out of it, but there were no floral or citrusy no, notes to that beer no, at all. No. It was wonderful. But No, it's amazing. This has so much floral and citrus just smacking you around. Just on the, And yet there's the dank. Just on the beginning is when you're trying so, it. And then there's that dank finish, but it follows through and then finishes kind of clean. Even. So this is where, remember when we were just talking about stories a moment ago? This is where the story 
really shed some light on the beer yeah. because that's exactly what it is. The laurel hops is that citrusy mm-hmm. flavor that's kind of floating on the top of my palate right now. And then the Dr. Rudy, which is from uh, 1976, the uh, the sort of Gen X hop, I guess, uh, that's what's underneath providing the dankness, yeah. if, I'm, if I'm reading this right. And it's amazing how they interact to each other, too, mm-hmm. because, you know, upon the, the, um, the immediate taste of this. I wouldn't have thought they go together as well as The immediate do. taste is that floral pow, and yes. then it just follows right up. And then up here comes the dankness With underneath. the dank, and just rolls right off the back of the tongue. It's wonderful. Do you, do you agree with me that the floral stays on top and the dankness comes in below it? I, yeah. Does it's, that make sense? It's amazing how, like, like it's almost like if you have a, a master chef make a casserole. Like, a casserole is right. just a bunch of flavors all mashed together. Of course. But sometimes you get a brilliant one that you can Take the flavors apart while you're tasting it. Now, you know, I don't know how many of these I could drink, like in a row, because it's kind of you're looking at me like, I, how many do you I, have? I have a pretty good <laughs> guess how many of those I could drink in a row. Now, it would probably involve me staying the night, though. This, yeah, I was gonna say this. This feels to me though more like a specialty, like open one and split it with what did friends. You, that was eight. And what percent? It's uh, eight point nine, so almost nine percent. Nine percent. That's a yeah. pretty big beer. Yeah, it, it really is, and and it. It isn't just the alcohol content, though. It's the, it's just the sort of it's it's more of a beer I want to sip rather than gulp down, you know. So I think Definitely again, that. this is open one with a friend or two, split it, enjoy it, and love it for what it and is. And as much and as I love that, it, taste I doubt that that would go very well with a cigar. Pretty sure it wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, pretty <laughs> sure it wouldn't. Um, because yeah. I it would, it would just, just mow over almost it would any just, cigar. Right? <laughs> you would have to smoke a diesel unholy cocktail, right? And, and to, at that to point even have time, a chance. And you know? at that point in time, they just they just have war on each other. Yeah, yeah. I think on you're your right. palate. Well, uh, you're listening to Smoking and Toasting. Uh, this is our 76th show, and we have promised, so we will deliver. How to make the best cocktails? Eight easy steps to upgrade or super hack your bar. And we're going to taste some uh, Parse rum coming up next. It's Colombian rum. And I'm looking forward to this. Welcome back. It's smoking and toasting. You know, this is the fourth segment of the show. We usually do this show in five segments. Mm-hmm. The fourth segment of the show is almost always my favorite because we've had a chance to, you know, Talk about some things, maybe some things would be interesting, and then we've had a chance to sample a couple of beers, and usually at least one of them was fantastic, mm-hmm. right? And then in this segment, we generally go to the spirit. It, it varies sometimes. We change it up, but generally we go to the spirit. So we're looking at, we're about to taste a rum here. I just want to point out that, that I appreciate our decision to clear our beer palate. Yes. With liquor, with liquor, yes, I think is, is and stellar. then come back to the final beer. Yes, yeah. I, what uh, what do you know? Hey, a big shout out to our buddy uh, Manny uh, um, uh, out, uh, Manny Lopez El Cubano, uh, yeah. at El Cubano Cigars. Uh, we did a show from there. It was one of the I thought the most informative and fun shows we've ever done was the show we did from there. And if you have not heard it, go back in the podcast segments or in the YouTube and uh, and check out that show because Manny. Uh, he's he knows all phases of the cigar business, so we learned so much about cigars from him. He was so informative. We decided, you know what? We just did a 
a post production complete whole nother segment yes. after that. Yes. And just let him go because he's and so good. And it was good. so much yeah. fun and he's just so so Manny, we're coming back if we're uh if we're allowed. Also we're in back. his shop, you remember that cool bar he had in there? Yes. Uh, and remember he had that Cuban rum? Yeah. Oh, that was it. Havana Club. So Havana Club. I've told you the story. I tried getting some. I was flying to Mexico uh, on vacation uh, late last year. And uh, so flew down, saw that rum in the, um, what do you call it? The uh, uh, tax-free, duty-free. Yeah, the duty-free. Thank you. So I went and I tried to buy a bottle. And they said, no, sir, if you're from the U.S., you can't buy it when you're flying to Mexico. You can only buy it on the way back. And I was like, okay, no problem. So on the way back, I check into duty Fair free. Enough. I can't find it anywhere. Oh no! Uh, so I'm looking everywhere for it. I can't find. It. I went into like five different duty free. It got suddenly popular. Yeah. Apparent something happened. So anyway, we'll we'll have to go visit Manny to have some more of that rum. Uh, Manny, save us a couple of drinks, will you please? <laughs> uh, this show is uh, show number seventy six. We're talking about how to make the best cocktails ever. Eight easy steps to super hack your bar. Uh, Smoking and toasting is brought to you by B and B Butchers and Restaurant at eighteen fourteen Washington Ave in Houston and in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth. Okay, so um, let's start with the bar hacks, okay? These are eight revolutionary tips that you need to know right now. My source on this is liquor.com, which, by the way, that may seem like a place, you oh, I would never go to liquor.com. It's going to be just a bunch of ads or whatever. No. Liquor.com is a great website. They have wonderful um, articles about what's going on in the liquor industry. They have wonderful uh, articles on how to make great drinks. They're a, j- just a source of great information. So I recommend them highly, and they did not pay me to say that. Okay, here we go. First bar hack to make your bar a super bar. This is your home bar. We're Talk to about. me. Yeah. Make bigger, clearer ice. I'm already working on that. They say here you don't need to break the bank on a cold draft ice machine for less than the price of a fancy cocktail. You can freeze your own king-sized ice squares, which are perfect for sipping scotch. If you're throwing a party, you need to chill down a large punch or just want to hand crack from a large block, fill up a large sealable container with water ahead of time, then throw it in the freezer. Then you just chip chunks off of it, and that's your You can your do that. Bigger, you can also go to uh, ice. I was talking with a buddy last night, wintersmith.com. Wintersmith. Yes, and they make devices that make uh, a few different shapes, including the big two-by-two-inch <laughs> squares, the big spheres, and amongst other things. But you also, like I believe with their devices, it's clear ice. Clear ice. Like completely clear, not the foggy look. You might also want to use um, a water that is a purified uh, water, mm-hmm. like so something like, like out of a bottle of water. You can get like like if you have a water service, or you can go buy you can go buy usually at the grocery store. You don't have to buy the little individual bottles right. of water. You, you can get one jugs. of the big gallon jugs. Make your ice with that could be a great way to do it too. That'll mm-hmm. be very pure and fresh tasting uh, water. Uh, but your ice can be cool, and the bigger cubes is an awesome thing. Yeah, like if I if I serve you. Uh, a glass of scotch and I put a nice big cube in it. That's something you're going to remember. Like, whoa! Yes. And that's not well. Just- and it does a couple things too. It, it, it you get the uh, the the slower um, melt rate from the ice, right? But you have that huge surface area too, which cools which cools down. your yeah, and yeah, that, it cools yeah. your drink down. So it's Very really nice. nice. And it looks awesome too. Come Very on. nice. An old you fashioned were, with a giant cube in it. When you were over at the house, you were uh, dropping ice cubes into everything. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, number two is set up your simple. Simple syrup is just what the name implies. It's a simple 50-50 mix of sugar 
and water. You can do this yourself. Oh, yeah. And absolutely. while a lot of great cocktails will find their balance with simple, that's what the pros call it, simple, not simple syrup, but uh, the liquid is a great platform to build on and explore. They say try new sweeteners. For example, use vegan-friendly agave syrup uh, in uh, margarita or use rich maple syrup in like an autumn ricky or honey like in a brown derby if you're making the classic brown derby. Uh, and they said, yeah, go ahead and color outside the lines. Try infusing your simple syrups with steep spices and herbs and citrus rinds and flower petals and, yes, even tea in your simple, and that will give you a custom take on any drink. So this is an easy one to do because you can take any drink recipe for any drink that calls for simple syrup, and then you can experiment by doing different kinds of simple syrup with, like like they said, things that are uh, honey-based or that are uh, maple syrup-based or whatever. Try different kinds. Taste them. The fun part of this, in my opinion, is the experimentation. Yeah, when you're doing this and trying to see what works because you got people coming over later. And you know? I could be I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. Like my wife's made this uh, quite a number of times, and I'm pretty sure it's literally sugar and water, and then you heat it up until it heat mixes, it and yes. you're done. And you're done. Yeah, that's like that's it's a simple that syrup. Simple. That's why right. they call it simple syrup. Yep. And it lasts a little while. It doesn't go bad immediately or anything. That's right. It lasts a while. Uh, number three out of our eight steps is get good tools. If you've already got a Uri mixing glass and gold cocktail picks, you can skip this step, they say. For everyone else who's just starting your uh, committed drinking, invest in your tools. You don't need to go crazy with accessories, but it's worth shelling out a bit on the basics. Even with regular use, quality tools will last you a lifetime. With that in mind, they say, please stop using a novelty shot glass as a jigger, a fork as a strainer, and an old jam jar as a shaker. To get you started, here are five must-have bar tools. Shaker tin is number one, and if you don't have one, they say a, temper, a tempered pint glass or two, but they say they recommend getting a shaker tin. Number two is a mixing glass. Number three is a Hawthorne strainer. And number four is a jigger, double-sided, they say, with half measures mm-hmm. noted, so you can measure these things correctly. And number five is nice glassware, and they even say your local Goodwill store should have a big selection of cheap, vintage cocktail and rocks glasses. And you know what? They don't all have to match. They don't. It's okay. I know there's. I'm only missing have, one thing on that list. By what's the way. that? I don't have the, oh, uh, the double jigger. See, I don't either. So. That's, I, I thought. I thought as I'm reading this, I'm like, I got to get one of those. Maybe this counts, but I do have a small and a large jigger. Yeah, probably um, does. And I also have two different mixing tins. I have a small one. Right. Uh, for, I have a small one for and, a single and a larger one. I have a large one. What for, I don't have yeah. is the really big one though. Right. Like you see them occasionally when you're in the bar. And you see the bartender mixing, like if he's mixing several martinis right. or margaritas or something, and he's got the really big one. Like th- that's see, what I, I have need. the one that, that, that you can I... couple with a sixteen ounce yeah. or a pint glass. Like that's the bigger one that I. I've have. got the one that will make either one really big margarita or two like medium right, right. sized margaritas. So uh, number four, this may be the most important one on the list. Use fresh fruit juice. It might seem like a no-brainer, but enough people are still buying oversweetened, over-the-counter grapefruit, orange, and lemon juice that it begs repeating, go fresh. There's a reason that the best cocktail bars in the country spend hours every day leading up to opening juicing. The pre-bottled variety just can't compete. Another benefit is that staying with the seasonally available will force you to be more creative with your recipes because some stuff's in, in, in... Season, there's a you know? there's a bar here in Houston called the Volcano, and mm-hmm. even before this became like the norm and the uh, and the uh, the new uh, craze, they have been doing fresh squeezed everything. Yes. Like when yes. you order, 
a drink there, even if they have it pre-made. They Drinks fresh the squeeze it that day. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Their their mar- or their Bloody Marys are basically a meal on a stick with some vodka juice. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Love stuff. it. I love it. Uh, number five, try DIY aging. Now, by now, you've likely seen house-aged Manhattans or Negronis at your local cocktail bar. Might seem gimmicky, gimmicky, they say, but even a short aging can bring out new and interesting notes between the ingredients. On a practical level, it's also a nice gift to future you. Someday soon, you'll come home from a long day of work, and lo, what'll be waiting for you but a ready-made cocktail. Uh, Find a mirror and raise a cheer to yourself. Uh, If you want more flexibility, you can infuse specific spirits instead of entire cocktails. Try adding lemon peels to that, like, you know, vodka you've got that's, like, Mm -hmm. maybe not the best vodka, right? Or fresh sliced ginger to whiskey, or, uh, uh, you know, that makes a great old-fashioned, right? Ever wanted to make your own fireball? It's easier than you think, and there's a link in this article if you want to learn how to make your own Fireball, which that'd be kind of fun. Like, that would be kind of fun. <laughs> uh, number six, they say, Ikea hack your bar. Not all the tricks happen behind the bar. They say sometimes the hack is the bar itself. Everybody would love to have that 10-foot walnut bar with the vintage black mirror in your apartment. No argument, but that means, you know, you got to be able to afford to go buy that big bar. So, uh, <laughs> And if you do, by the way, invite us over. Um, but for everyone else, the idea is to get creative, and they recommend going to IKEA. They've got all kind of things, and they give some wallet friend wallet friendly ideas to get you started. But you can build yourself a very nice little bar for very little money. My liquor shelf is an IKEA. Yep. Thing. Yeah, I'm telling you, it totally works. It totally works. So I think I'm missing a page. Now, I have enough liquor on my liquor shelf that when you look at it, you don't notice any of the Ikea. Yeah, well, that's, that's like, a good thing. You're not looking yeah. at it at all. You're no, noticing the liquor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let me just skip ahead to, uh, um, oh well, they talk about, oh, yeah, here's one, spray bottles. Spray bottles. Get spray bottles because you've probably had a cocktail that you've tried to make that involved a spirit rinse. But it's pretty wasteful to pour out half an ounce of alcohol into a glass, swirl it around, and then pour it out. So the solution, small spray bottles that you can purchase just about anywhere. You fill them up with the necessary spirit, and one spray covers the inside of the glass without wasting an expensive ingredient. And finally, uh, they say create smarter storage. Bitters are no longer just a passing cocktail ingredient. They're a whole class of their own with interesting infusions popping up just about everywhere. Switching up your bitters is a great new way to try new twists on old classic recipes. Uh, but where do you store all those delightful little bottles? They suggest a, ce- a ceiling-mounted uh, metal tray on the top underside of your bar uh, with strong magnets, or there's a thing you can find called bottle loft, which is made of magnetic strips that will hold your bottles aloft. Now you've created a cool bar decoration and functional storage. So there are your tips. Easy tips to make nice. better drinks and at home. hack your home bar. And, uh, wow, we've run all out of time for this segment, Ian. I think we may have to taste the rum in our final segment. What have you done? Uh, what have I done? Well, we'll taste the rum <laughs> and the barley wine. How about oh, that? You know, we, we can make that happen. Final segment coming up. It's smoking and toasting. On the beach in Hawaii. Welcome back. Very seldom. Uh, this is Smoking and Toasting, by the way. And uh, we we're brought to you by B&B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston and in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth. Very seldom do we 
do a segment where we get carried away with the topic and forget get to drink. It's usually the other way around. Usually we promise to talk about something, <laughs> and then we start and forget the topic. start the tasting and forget the topic. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so we've done the opposite here, but that just means it's a double drinking segment here, and it's rum time. Let me just open this bad boy on mic. Oh, that sounded that good. That was a good one, wasn't yeah, it? That yeah, good. that's what, Oh, and I can smell it too. <laughs> that's, that's very nice. So we are going to be trying uh, a Parce uh, rum, P-A-R-C-E. It is aged for 12 years. It is the Ron Columbia Reserva Especial. Ooh, I can smell it over uh, here you now. You can smell it over there. Well, that's good. This is... Uh, uh, this is definitely not a mellow uh, sort of rum. Some rums are mellow, you know. Some some give you, you know, uh, a little punch, and others are very very uh, mellow and kind of creep up on you. We'll see what kind of rum we have here and what this. Now this is aged twelve years, so this should be, it should have the benefit of aging. It should be something very smooth, uh, but we will see uh, anything on the nose, Ian. Um. Brown sugar. Rum. <laughs> Rum, brown sugar. Vanilla. Uh, yes. I <laughs> this... wonder, where did it get those kind of... Uh, <laughs> well, well, those how could that happen? <laughs> like, I could actually smell that from across the room. It says in the bottle, Parse, expertly crafted rum, strictly aged in select oak barrels, all to create a distinct nose, body, and flavor. Simply put, every drop speaks true to the age declared at the top of the bottle. 12 years in this case. You can smell the oak. Yep. In this rum, like it has this astringent oakness to the smell that's so nice and wonderful. Oh, and they give me a, pron- a pronunciation of parse. They, it's parse, emphasis on the first parse. syllable. Parse. Parse rum. It's casual for good friend. We hope you enjoy our rum casually with good friends. Salud, parse. And uh, this is Colombian rum. So I hope a, this a was of- kind of expensive. Um, because the reason I'm saying that is because if it's not expensive, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so you like I'm not this, a big huh? fan of rum, but that is so incredibly smooth. It is very smooth uh, on the nose. I can say that. Let's well, and and the flavors, it tastes just like it smells. It is mm. brown sugar. Wow, that's and good. Oak. And vanilla. The, uh, and I, I started to call molasses, it the retro hail. The molasses the, uh, comes out. The, the retro hail, yeah. The, yeah, it just, it's just so brown sugary and, and, and delicious. Yeah. Mm, so, like, so rum-like. So it is very smooth, but yeah. it's got just that tiny little kick to it. It's got heat that comes back. Mm-hmm. That comes back and after It lingers for a while, too, but in kind of a... Well, this is a 12-year. You can tell... That this has been this is that this is a more aged rum, you know, just because of the smoothness. Yes, and the oakiness of it. Wow, I actually really enjoy. Like, I get that in mm. beers, and I get that in wines, and I get that like that oaky astringency. Mm-hmm. Like, makes my mouth water mm-hmm. so big time. It's such a nice uh, uh, dryness to the flavor that you don't get with a lot of uh, a lot of aged things. It's interesting, Ian, because this rum. All of the flavors are fairly traditional rum flavors, and yet I don't think I've tasted any rum that tastes quite like this one. This like is—I wouldn't confuse this for any of the other rums that we've had on the show. I would one hundred percent back you up on that. It's very rum-flavored rum. <laughs> yes, it's—it's it's, it's really, really interesting. But at all it. of the flavors—the vanilla, yeah. the molasses, the uh, sort of. Uh, 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 brown sugar, all of it are the traditional rum flavors. 
and yet somehow they mix together in a slightly different way in this They rum. do, and like in a lot of spiced rum, and especially aged spiced rum, the first thing you get is vanilla, and this isn't like that. The first thing you get is that brown sugar and molasses. Like and I'll admit, I like that vanilla. That's usually what I lean the towards. The vanilla comes at like the that. end, which is comes late. a little opposite, yes, and then the spice late. from the rum usually happens right at the right. beginning of the flavor, too. This comes... And this is right in the middle of mm-hmm. it, and when by the time you're done and that heat comes back... You don't really have a lot of that spice left. You just have that molasses sweetness, wonderfulness. There's almost a smokiness to it. This is a really delicious rum. <laughs> you know, uh, like like in a sweet smoky kind of way. So I will show this to the camera for those on uh, Facebook Live. This is the buy this parse. rum. Ian How says, much was that, by the way? Buy this rum. I'm gonna have to go back and look, but I I, I want to say it was in the right neighborhood for like a 12 year. Rum, probably in the 40-something. Yeah, 40-something. Yeah, yeah. uh, I, I may need to be corrected on that, and I will look that up and and That's and an outstanding rum. Like, I'd say show, if you're but, just going to sit around and have a glass of rum. Which I think right. sounds like a wonderful idea about now, don't I, you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that, you know, much like some beers that we've had, it's just very rich. So I don't know that, like, a few glasses is what I'd want, but certainly a glass of that is just mm. a beautiful thing. Well, I know what I'm drinking tonight. That's fantastic. Wow. Parse. Parse. Not parse, but <laughs> parse. parse. Gotcha. And that's and that's if you think about it, that would be the more correct Spanish pronunciation because parse would be more French or right. or Latin and uh, so parse would be more Or from Texas. Parse. Spanish, or parse. Give me some of that parse rum there. <laughs> that parse right. rum. Ian, this next uh beer, I have to say, I bought it well, I was thinking of you. There's no other way to say it. I was thinking of you when I bought this next beer. It's in a very large bomber. It is from the Avery Brewing Company, which, you know, these guys were acquired partially by a larger company, not by uh, one of the, the big beers, but by a larger beverage company. So there's been some discussion about, uh, is Avery still craft beer? You know, they're partially owned by a bigger conglomerate. Um I think we'll let taste decide for itself. I don't on think this I've beer. had any bad Avery beers. Well, we haven't had a lot of Avery on the show. I was thinking about that. Right. Uh, we have had it, but we haven't had a lot. And I don't think we've ever done one of their bombers. So No, and that's called Hog Heaven. Hog Heaven. And the reason I thought of you when I bought this. Wait a new... second. Do I want to hear this reason? Yeah. Yeah, you sure do. It's a dry hopped barley wine style. Oh, okay. <laughs> Had a little you, suspense see, going on. You there. thought I was going somewhere near. Uh, I would not do that, my friend. I would not do that. I like the um, flying pigs. On yeah, the they label got flying there. pigs. Yeah, nice. when pigs fly, right? And it says the Holy Trinity of Ale. Or does it say Holy which Trinity is, of Pigs? Which I'm is, having trouble Which reading. is barley wine, the barley Holy wine, and barley wine? Uh, I, I, <laughs> I suppose in your world, Ian, I think that's <laughs> probably true. That probably is the Holy Trinity of Ale. Oh, that was a nice one. Oh, boy. Did you get that? I got a good nose nice of clean. this, too. I'm just going to pass that over and let you Maybe smell it before I pour anything. Ooh. Oh, Yeah. It's interesting because that smells a little more like an American-style barley wine. I thought you were about to do the barley wine dance is what I thought you were about to do. (laughs) That's the dance I was thinking of. (laughs) Of course, that's also the same. Oh, wait, that's a different dance. I think that's also the same as the single malt dance. Yeah. uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think there's several You know, I'm not not, um, uh, versatile, but I am enthusiastic. Well, I can tell you from (laughs) looking at at this starting to do the pours, uh, it's lighter in color. Than most of the barley wines that we've seen. Now, Ian, let me ask you this: If it describes itself on the bottle as a dry hopped barley wine style 
ale. Mm-hmm. Does that mean it's not actually a barley wine? That means they've probably departed from what a barley wine actually is to some degree. That would okay. be my guess. And so I'm looking at it, and it looks lighter in color. I'm showing this to the camera. You know, that's not live. that's not too far off from what a barley yeah. wine usually is. It's usually a little reddish and, well, and a little murky. Certainly I'm smelling so. the sort of uh, very uh, ripe fruit forward, right, the plum right. and raisin uh, sort of vibe to this, as you would expect from... A barley wine. So I don't know. This is going to be a very interesting. Again, I'll show this to the camera just so you can see what the, you know, the consistency and the murkiness of this looks like. On the nose, it's what you would expect a barley wine to be, with maybe even a little more fruit and a little hop. Yes, I think you may be right. I think fruit comes through. And now it is dry hopped. I I don't know. You know much more about barley wines than I do, but is dry hopped a different approach to barley? So the hop. The hop content in barley wine is more of an American affectation. That's why they have now American-style barley wines. So the more traditional more, barley wines much, from Much Europe. hoppier flavor. I see. Uh, and, and when we talk about how hoppy it is, we're not necessarily talking about how much hops, because it's it's how the hops impart it's the flavor. It's more, yeah, where it comes from. Some hops just has more present flavor. It's kind of like mm-hmm. the difference, like like pepper tastes like pepper, but white mm-hmm. paper, pepper tastes different from black pepper. And then how much you add makes differences, too. So, But this has such a fruity... Uh, flavor, even some of the uh, brighter fruits, brighter fruits, which you're not used to in a uh, barley wine. Mm-hmm. It, it, uh, you know, you're used to getting plum and and right. like raisin and date kind of. You're flavors. right. This is a little brighter. This is uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say um, even maybe a little bit of like passion fruit in there. It's just like yeah, which is not something you'd it's more expect of a tropical kind from of a barley kind wine. Of more of a tropical. That's interesting. And what what I notice about this immediately in is that in comparison to the other barley wines. That we have tried. Consistency-wise, this drinks much more like uh, a regular ale. It doesn't have that thicker sort of barley wine viscosity thing going on. You're just saying it because it. it doesn't have chunks in it. it no. <laughs> well, you still haven't again, forgiven me for bringing I still, chunky no, beer. I, that chunky beer was like, I'm still not sure how I survived that episode. That was like that was so, like way over the top. Here's an interesting no, thing. But, like, but this is more carbonated. It's, yes, it's, it's definitely fizzier. more carbonated than uh, what you used to. Um, and the English style barley wine just doesn't have that bright floral hopness to it that the that the American style has. What's interesting to me about this is that the the barley wine flavors that ripe fruit comes on the finish, yeah. and I'm used to them being much more uh, forward. There's a you get a little bit of the hops in the forward. Then you get in in the middle and early finish. Here comes the plum and the raisin. Right. And then hops is what lingers. Right, right. Really in a, interesting. In a bitter way, though, not in a real floral kind right. of way. Absolutely. You, you, right. right. It's a, it's a more it's bitter a, it's hops a, on right. the end and and not as floral. So how would you – I'm curious because you're a barley wine guy. Like, How would you rate this? Is this something you I would, would go back to? I would rate this high yeah? as an American style. Like, This is okay. an American style barley wine done right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Done or right. Okay. Barley wine style ale, if you want to call it there. It's done mm-hmm. right though, because the hop doesn't just take over the thing. I don't know if you remember, we did a uh, show at one of the cigar shops, and uh, and I happened to bring uh, an American barley wine that we mm-hmm. all tasted and went, mm, not we, so. We much. didn't like it so None much. That's I remember it. that. Yes. Even me, I love barley wine. Yes. Didn't but, like but it. That didn't float our boat. Yeah. Yes. It just it was way too hoppy. It's it, there wasn't any complexity to it. It's just it literally tasted like a. Like a uh, like a, an IPA gone 
bad. So you're describing this then as a bar, an American style barley wine done right. right. This is okay. done right. If you want well, that style where you have the hops, the hops are up front. You're right. The barley wine finish is there. All those flavors you get in a traditional barley wine are all there, but then it follows through with that hot bitterness to, to leave that crisp finish in your mouth. Not a lingering sweetness like a lot of times you get with the barley wine. 9.2%, my friend. Yeah. Also, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> uh, okay. So um, on our next show, uh, we will dig further into this te- tequila uh, controversy. We get to do this again? Yes, we do. We Sweet. get to come back for show number 77 next time. Uh, and the uh, tequila controversy, the tequila, is it is it made up? Is it real? We'll dig further into that, and we'll look to have uh, some news from the experts. Plus, uh, the first craft beer in space, we'll tell you about that next time. And, um, you know, the uh, hip-hop you- duo Run the Jewels? I've never heard of that. Uh, well, they are uh, pretty well known. Adam knows it. Adam over on the Wheels of Steel. Yep. I'm old. Run the Jewels <laughs> is releasing their second craft beer. We'll tell you about that uh, coming up on next week's Did we show get that Mumford well. & so, Sons IPA this time? Uh, you know what? We are already out of time, so uh, right. we're going to have to try to try that next time. next time. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to the show. Thanks to our followers on uh, on uh, Facebook, on Facebook Live. We uh, appreciate Facebook. it. We love you guys. This is such a fun show to do, and we couldn't do it if you... Well, I suppose we could do it if you weren't watching and listening, but it sure wouldn't be. It'd as be fun. less fun. Yeah, it'd be less fun. Then we'd have less stuff to talk about when I see guys you again. Drinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have a great week, my friend. We will uh, we will be thinking of you. And uh, as always, cheers. Cheers to you, sir. Cheers. And I'll friend. leave you with the barley wine dance. As it should be.